Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. As most of you guys know, uh, for the past two months, we have spent uh, really a significant amount of time talking about what it means uh, to be a godly family or to have a godly family. And uh, this morning, I'm going to do my best to just kind of wrap up that subject. And so, uh, you know, if by chance that you haven't been able to make it, you know, whatever the past two months, you've missed some some services, well, I would just simply encourage you to go check out the podcast. Um, I think, you know, what we're talking about has been pretty pretty simple, pretty practical, and, uh, you know, obviously the goal every week has been, you know, what can you put in your pocket and leave here and, and apply it to your life as soon as you leave here, and I, and I hope we've done a, an okay job with that. But anyway, so let's, uh, let's dive into today, and uh, what I want to do to kind of get us off and running in, the, in a certain direction is I want to read a, a very familiar verse. It comes out of Mark chapter 3. If you can, let's look at the screen, and we'll, we'll read it together. It says this in Mark 3. It says, if a house or if a family is divided against itself, that house or that family cannot stand. If you know that's true, say, oh yeah. yeah. Listen, in context, we know that Jesus was really talking about you know, spiritual warfare and spiritual authority here. But I think this, uh, this truth still rings you know, in a very relevant and applicable way to our lives even today. And it's simply this, here's the truth that's tucked in there, is that in the same way that God desires to fill our homes with peace and with unity, the devil desires to bring destruction and division into our families. And so with that in mind, you know, I think, you know, it doesn't really matter if you study, uh, you know, secular psychologists or Christian psychologists, you know, all the experts would really agree that there are three root areas where married couples typically, uh, you know, run into issues and potentially find themselves being divided. And the three areas are simply these. Number one is finances. Number two is intimacy. And the third one is communication. So I say if if 19 years of marriage and 25 years of ministry has taught me anything, it is that if, uh, you know, the enemy can mess with our unity in any of those three areas, then he can easily gain access into our homes. Now, obviously, you know, we don't have time to unpack, you know, all three of those things today, but we do have time to unpack one. And so what I want to do, just kind of closing out this series, whatever you want to call it that we've been in, is, uh, is I actually want us to turn our attention to what I believe is the most important of the three, and that's communication. So with that subject in mind, if you can, you know, no matter how old you are, how long you've been married, you know, if you can, can, you know, just go all the way back with me, if you can, for a moment and think about, isn't it funny how most of us who are married didn't struggle with this thing called uh, communication when we first met and when we first started dating our spouse? The reality is that most of us would talk hours on end with ease. It was like food, who needed it, sleep, that was a luxury. Like Those things didn't matter. All we wanted to do was just talk to one another. And the reason is, is because we were, you know, really just simply interested in hearing each other's stories. Like, we had question after question after question. We were curious to discover what the other person liked and disliked. In other words, in our heart, we wanted to talk because we were genuinely concerned or genuinely interested uh, to learn what made them happy. Because we wanted to make them happy. When we would talk to them, we were truthfully just highly motivated to make a good impression. And so, we would do crazy things like this back in the day. Like, we would iron our clothes. 
right? Like we would fix our hair, right? We would brush our teeth and we'd put makeup on. Like we would do those things knowing we were going to talk to them, right? So we were eager to show our ability to be fun, right? To be smart and pleasant to be around. We were doing our best in those conversations to communicate how much we cared. We wanted them to know that we were in awe of their talents. We were in awe of their abilities. We were in awe of their dreams. Like we were their biggest support. I guess what I'm really trying to get at is in this moment, this stage or this phase in in relationship, like weaknesses didn't exist, right? Like it was only strengths. And so what I'm getting at is this, is the point is simple, is that uh, during this phase of our relationship, we were willing to do anything to get to know each other better. And to that point, it didn't matter how long the conversation took, we just wanted to be together because we were in love. Now, ultimately, I just think this, when you look at all that, like that's why we married who we married, Am I right? Like, it's because we enjoyed what happened during our courtship. We enjoyed what happened during those conversations so much that we wanted to continue it for the rest of our lives. That's why we stood at an altar and we declared until death do us part. Now, I'll confess that I don't pretend to understand everything that I'm about to say. I just know it's true for a lot of people. And that's this, that it seems like for some of us, once we've been married for a while, you know, like got, some, got a job, had some kids, accumulated a nice chunk of debt, like something changed. <laughs> like something changed at that moment. It's like after a while, if we let it, the new shine of that relationship wore off. It's like the thrill of adventure wasn't as strong as it used to be. And all of a sudden, there was nothing, you know, new to talk about. Like you heard that story before and you heard that joke like 25 times before, right? So, so like on top of that, it's like you ate her meatloaf last Tuesday and the Tuesday before that and the Tuesday before that. And she washed your dirty and stinky, you know, underwear the Thursday and folded Thursday and the Thursday before that. And, and you know, it's kind of like through all of that kind of stuff, unbeknownst to us, something happened that we didn't expect. And it's this, please hear what I'm about to say. Our emotional need for conversation didn't diminish a bit, but our desire to have it with our spouse did. In short, that guy that used to be so amazing became boring, and that woman that used to make your heart go Twitter pattern, she became very uninteresting. And so often, I think when a couple comes to that place and an unexpected shift happens, is, is we exchange our past vibrant conversations that were filled with affection and filled with admiration for unhealthy patterns of communication. If you know that's true, say, oh yeah. And it goes a little something like this. Let me give you two examples. So let's imagine your husband walks through the kitchen with mud on his boots and you snap at him like he's six years old. And even though you know in your heart, because the Spirit of God lives in you, that you were wrong, you mentally tag your, your negative reaction off to being his fault. After all, he's the one that had mud on his shoes, and he should have known better. It's what you tell yourself. Or, or maybe you blame that moment on stress, or maybe you blame it on the kids, or maybe you blame it on your hormones, or maybe it's just your busy schedule, but you're, you're not taking ownership. Or let's say this. Let's say, fella... Uh, you're strolling through last month's bank statement and you discovered that uh, your wife spent way more than what you thought was necessary. Like way too many Amazon Primes, right? (laughs) And so without thinking, you release a bunch of passive-aggressive, sarcastic statements like it's some kind of grenade tossed in her direction over the couch, right? Like you just sling it in there and just ready to walk away like it's a movie, right? Boom, right? (laughs) Whatever, okay? 
So listen, of course, once again, you know those type of comments are wrong because the Spirit of God lives in you, right? Like you know from past experiences that it benefits nothing when you do that. But yet you refuse, like her, to take ownership. And you just tag it off mentally as her fault because you tell yourself if she had self-control, she would know better. Right? And you mumble under your breath, doesn't she? What's she think? Money grows some treats? And so what happens when she goes, what'd you say? You, you blame it on stress, the unrealistic demands of life, right? The pressure at work. You say you're tired. You say, I'm just trying to provide, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, but sometimes I think we got to stop and ask, man, like, what's really going on here? Like, what's really happening? See, the issue to me is pretty straightforward. If we like it or not, what's happened is the daily routine of our life has caused us to start taking one another for granted, Right, So much so that we've lost sight of all those unique and amazing qualities that, used to, that we used to admire about our spouse. Remember all those reasons why you fell in love, all those reasons that you wanted to ask them to marry, the whole reason you said, I do, all of that, right? And, and so what happens is, is we come to this point of familiarity where we've eternally given ourselves permission to say and do anything we'd like. And we kind of tell ourselves when we say or do the things we know we really shouldn't, we, we just say, uh, it's just my husband, it's just my wife. Like, they're strong enough, they can deal with it, they know me. So listen, with all that in mind, I just want to point out, isn't it amazing how the perfect man or the perfect woman can become so less than perfect once you've been married for a while? Amen, brother. Right? And really, if I could say, hey, let's, let's hang our hat on something. Here's the comment that I really want us to hang our hat on today. I'm just getting real with you. We're going to shoot straight grown-up talk, okay? Is that, isn't it amazing how we can tell ourselves that our marriage would be more enjoyable if our spouse would just conform to our idea of what a good husband or a good wife should be? That was a brave soul right there. Did you notice how that man was like on an island by himself? I don't know who it was. Well, we'll pray for you. Okay. Pray for your safety and protection. All right, here we go. But listen, I, I just want us to know that when we've come to that point, uh, you know, once again, where we think that if, if our husband or our wife would conform to our ideas, when we hit that point, really we're in danger of becoming obsessed with our spouse's faults and weaknesses because it's the only thing we're looking for. Right? And it's like this, when we get to that point, we're also convincing ourselves that it is our mission in our marriage to help them overcome all the deficiencies and all the weaknesses, and somehow that it's your job to help them become more acceptable to yourself, to the family, and anybody else that you run into. Because why? Because you're constantly embarrassed by what they do. Nobody notices it but you. Right? So listen, I, I realize that some of this can be really hard to admit, but, but the fact is, even though we got the Spirit of God living in us, even though we're believers, a lot of that's true, right? And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is I'm going to try my best to show you how this I'm going to fix them attitude uh, manifests itself in our marriages. And, and then I want to give you what I believe is God's solution. Really simple, really basic, but hopefully it'll help. So what I want to do is I want to start, uh, first and foremost, by picking on the guys, okay, uh, of how this I'm going to help them attitude manifest. And to do so, I want to read a story to you uh, that, that I read a few days ago. It goes a little something like this, kind of long, so bear with me, please. But it says this, the guy's writing, he's talking. He said, the crunch of corn chips distracted my attention from the Saturday afternoon football game. 
I watched in amazement as my wife and three children began to eat their sandwiches and drink their Cokes while I sat only a couple feet away without a bite to eat. Why didn't she make me a sandwich, I asked myself. I'm the sole breadwinner, and I'm being ignored as if I don't exist. I cleared my throat loudly to catch my wife's attention. When that didn't work, I became so irritated that I walked into the kitchen, got the bread out, and made my own dadgum sandwich. He didn't say dadgum. Little Alabama for you. He said, when I sat back down in front of my TV, my wife didn't say a word, nor did I. But I kept wondering, if women are so sensitive, how come she didn't know I wanted a sandwich? If women are so alert, why didn't she hear me clear my throat or notice that I wasn't speaking to her? Why didn't she notice the expression of irritation on my face? So a few days later, he said, we were talking calmly, and I said, I've really been wondering about something, but I hesitate asking you this question. He said, I was really intrigued the other day, and I wondered if I could ask you a personal question. Sure, she said. You know, last Saturday when I was watching the football game and you made sandwiches for all the kids, can I ask you why you didn't make me one? Are you serious, she asked. She looked at me with such amazement that it really confused me. Sure, I'm serious. I would think that since I'm the one who earns all the money for food around here, that you would have made me something to eat too. You know, I really can't believe that you would even ask me a question like that, she said. He goes on to say, by now I was thinking maybe I shouldn't have asked it. (laughs) Maybe I should have known the answer. And it seemed very obvious to her, but it wasn't obvious to me at all. He said, then I said, I really don't see it. I admit I'm blind in some areas, and I can see this is one of them. Would you mind telling me? Brothers, he opened up the door right there, just so you know. Mistake. All right. Sometimes women are accused of being stupid, but we aren't. We don't just set ourselves up to be criticized. She seemed to think that explained why she hadn't made me a sandwich. I can understand that, but what does that have to do with the sandwiches? Then she went on to say, do you realize that every time I make you a sandwich, you say something critical about it? You didn't give me enough lettuce. Is this avocado ripe? You put too much mayonnaise on this. Hey, how about some butter? Well, it's a little dry. Maybe you've never realized it, but you have had a critical statement for every sandwich I have ever made. And I just wasn't up for being criticized the other day. It wasn't worth it. I don't enjoy being criticized. Fellas, how do you think you felt that moment? right like it was an eye-opening experience for him and he said he felt like he had egg all over his face because he realized that all these years she was right every time uh you know she brought him a sandwich he had something you know to to gripe about to complain about now listen while i realized that you know some little story about a sandwich isn't really earth-shattering to anybody in the room i just want to say this the message is really clear And it's this, is that one of the ways a man tries to help his wife become the wife and the mother he thinks she should be is by complaining and criticizing her. And I just think this, fellas, if we continue to resort to open criticism and belittling remarks, or if we choose to stay, uh, you know, whatever, with passive suggestions or tiny hints, it all boils down to this, that what she hears when we do those things is a lack of acceptance from us. Like We have to understand that. When we think we're helping, when we think we're fixing, she's feeling rejection, right? And so she interprets our criticism and our complaining to mean that she isn't good enough. So I just say this, the next time that we're tempted to criticize or to complain about if it's sloppy housekeeping, if it's spending habits, if it's, uh, you know, her being late all the time, if it's 
cooking skills, if it's dependency on their parents, jealousy, if it's moodiness, if it's one of those crying spells that women tend to have, whatever, or the, or the 5,000 other things that we tend to, to see that's wrong with them, uh, let's understand that rather than helping them like we think we are, we're actually just pushing them away. Right, And she may not say it with her words, or maybe she will, but sooner than later, she's going to begin to resent you. And ultimately, what she's going to do is she's going to close her heart off to you. So uh, on that note, I want you to listen to a verse uh, from Apostle Paul. He wrote this to the Galatian church. I think it's very applicable to this moment when it comes to a husband and a wife and a man being critical. It says this in Galatians 5.15. It says, but if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Here's why. Beware of destroying one another. What am I saying? I'm saying this, that that every time we criticize her, we are destroying her self-esteem, her self-worth, and her value as our wife. Amen? All right, let's turn our attention to the ladies for a moment. Um, If you can, listen to the story uh, that a woman wrote. She said this. She said, one morning, Dave and I were speaking to a group of young moms at our church. As we spoke, Dave began telling the women that more than likely, most of their husbands had a relative cheering for them while he was growing up. In other words, he's growing up and somebody's saying, good job, I'm proud of you. And after he said that to those group of women, she said, to my surprise, he brought me into the story. He told them that when I said yes to his marriage proposal, in essence, I was shouting to the world, of all the men in the world, I choose you. But then he lowered the boom by saying, but ladies, after we have been married a while, all we as men hear from our wives is, boo. And she went on to say this. She said, on the ride home, I asked Dave, you think I boo you? I'm not booing you. I'm helping you. (laughs) Thanks, dear. To this, Dave responded, it doesn't feel like help. You are constantly critiquing everything I say and do. I want to repeat that last part again. You are constantly critiquing everything I say and do. Ladies, what was Dave trying to get across in in a passive, aggressive way, no doubt? But what was he trying to tell his wife? He was trying to tell his wife that every time she tries to help him, he interprets it as a lack of acceptance, a lack of respect, and a lack of affirmation. Now, listen, I know what I'm about to say isn't popular with ladies, but, but listen, one of the more common ways that a woman shows her lack of acceptance towards her husband is by this word that ladies hate, but it's true, it's by nagging him. Right? If I can say it in another way, one of the ways a woman tries to help her husband is by nagging him. So to quote one woman, and I want to stress, quote a woman, a man didn't write this, a woman wrote this. She said this. She said, a typical nag list from a feminine gender might read as the follows. He never fixes anything around the house, never takes me anywhere, won't get up in the morning, watches television too late, gets up too early, won't go to church, spends money foolishly, lives beyond our means, won't talk to me, doesn't understand my feelings, pays no attention to the kids, forgets birthdays and anniversaries, isn't home enough, never says a decent word unless he wants sex, is stingy with me, is too quiet, leaves the toilet seat up, never picks up his clothes, uses bad grammar, has terrible table manners, drives like a maniac, tells the same jokes over and over again, brags too much, refuses to exercise, eats too much, spends too much time golfing, doesn't pay bills on time, is too domineering or passive or indecisive, blah, blah, blah. In other words, what she's saying is, is he will never be good enough. That's what they're saying. So listen, to, to that type of woman, let me tell you what 
uh, Solomon said. In other words, a woman that just gets on something and won't let it go. Here's what he says about that kind of woman. Remember, Solomon's the wisest man that ever lived outside of Jesus. Proverbs 27, 15, he said this. A constant dripping on a rainy day and a cranky woman are much alike. He said, you can no more stop her complaints or her nagging than you can stop the wind or hold on to anything with greasy hands. Like, man, that may hurt, but there's some truth in that. It's the Bible. Amen? So listen, ladies, all I'm trying to say is the next time you're tempted to point out that thing that irks you for the 70th time to your husband, like, please understand, rather than helping him like you think you are, you're actually pushing him away. Right? He, he may not say it, but, but what he hears you saying is this, is that you tolerate him, but you don't accept him. And I'm going to tell you, ladies, listen, no man wants to be tolerated in their home. They want to be accepted and they want to be loved. They want to be admired. They want to be respected. So listen, sooner than later, I can promise you this, that if you keep pushing and keep pushing and pushing, he will begin to resent you and he will shut off his heart to you. And the reason is, is because you're choking the life and the confidence out of him. Amen? So listen, you, you may not fully grasp this or understand it, but, but I want you to know today that, that it is difficult for any man to love a nagging woman. And the reason is because it makes him feel like he's being mothered. And no man wants to go to bed with his mother. Okay? And so every time you say to him, pick up those shoes, pick up those socks, do this, do this, you're mothering him. And all he wants to do is run away from you. Okay? Amen. All right, so hear my heart for a moment, okay? Please. I know all this, like I said, it's not easy to hear on both ends. I was just the first one getting rebuked in this message, I promise you. Okay? So... I realize that as I'm saying all of this, that probably every husband and every wife in the room believes that their motives and their attentions are pure in what they do. In other words, they don't, they don't maybe always consider it as criticism. They don't always consider it to be nagging. They think, once again, their heart's pure. And, and, and the reality is, is this, is why do you, why do I feel so compelled to change our spouse? It's probably because they do need to change. Right? More than likely, they have legitimate blind spots, and more than likely, they lack self-awareness somewhere. Why? Because we all do. And, and the only difference is, is with that single person, we feel like it's our duty to help them. And, and while we may think that it's a noble cause and it's right, you know, I, I just want you to know that every time you step out to go do that, you're actually violating a, a basic Christian principle. And that is this, is that the heart of the gospel message revolves around changing ourselves not our ability to change others. So that's why that every time you go to do something, it's like a dumpster fire starts, right? The reason that happens is because the favor of God and the grace of God and the anointing of God is not on what you're doing because it's not the way he works. Amen? What happens is, is you do this, you do that, and you go away, and you're frustrated, and you're asking God, why are you not changing my wife? God, why are you not changing my husband? The reason he can't is because you're getting in the way. Amen? So listen, on that note, I, I realized today that if I stood up here and I said, okay, like it would be really pointless for me to stand up and ask if, if you have ever spoken any angry, harsh, careless, condemning unkind, bitter, mocking, disrespectful, critical, or complaining words to your spouse in an attempt to change them. 
Like, if you're married in this room and if you're breathing, you are guilty. <laughs> right? Like, like, we've all done it, okay? And, and I've done it probably more than most men, okay? Like, I've blown it loads in this area. Truthfully, as I was reading this, I literally sat back at my desk and I said, Quentin, you're an idiot because I haven't understood this, right? And so I, I just want to say something before we move on. I want to ask a single question to you and to myself, is that what do our words to our spouse reveal about us? When we go to speak to our wives in a critical way, and, and when we speak to our husbands in a nagging way, what does it say about us? Because we think all the time it says something about them, but the truth is it's saying more about us than it is them at that moment. See, the reason I know that is because Jesus said this in Luke 6. He said, a good man, a good husband, a good wife brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And he says these last words, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So, so if you're speaking sarcastic, bitter, angry, what's it revealing? Like all Jesus is saying is, is that our critical and nagging words towards our spouse reflect the true nature of what's in our heart. So it doesn't really matter if you can worship Jesus for three hours. It doesn't matter if you can go pray for three hours. What matters at the end of the day, when you go speak to your husband, you go speak to your wife, that shows what's really in you. That shows, let me say it the right way, what spirit you're of. Amen? So, so, so often we go, well, I thought it was my spouse's problem. Once again, it's not. It's, it's your problem. Okay? Listen to this comment that Amy Carmichael said. This quote, she said, a cup brimful of sweetness cannot spill even one drop of bitter water. We'll say it again, a cup brimful of sweetness cannot spill even one drop of bitter water, no matter how suddenly jarred. In other words, it's like this. It's like if I'm holding a glass of, of God's nectar to the soul, sweet tea. Right, and, I, and I'm rolling through a crowd, right? And I got my cup of sweet tea, and I accidentally bump into Brian, and I spill that drink a little bit. What, what it's saying is this, is that what's going to come out isn't going to be battery acid. Right? What's, what's going to come out is what, what's in it. And, and so listen, so every time you and I open our mouths and choose to speak death and not life, it's simply revealing that there's still death inside of us. Right? That is revealing what? That we need healing in our hearts somewhere. Because why? Because we're not walking in love like Jesus told us to. So in short, if I could really just say it in one other way, is our communication problems with our spouse are essentially heart problems. Our communication problems are essentially heart problems. So rather than us focusing so much about our spouse's transformation, like what we keep giving all of our energy and time to, how about let's invite Jesus to come and transform our hearts instead? Amen? All right, let's shift gears because more than likely, you know, there's somebody in here other than myself that's fallen into a pattern of negative communication with our spouse. And so we have to ask ourselves, like, if we're in that place, what is God's solution? Because if we don't get that, we're just going to leave here being condemned and feeling shameful, right? So, so like, what's the plan? Like, what's the antidote to this problem? Okay, I, to me, uh, this isn't some massive newsflash, but I think the answer is really simple, but please don't miss it. The answer to nagging and the answer to complaining is simply this. It's praise. It's praise. Now, I'm not talking about praising God. Obviously, we do that. But I'm talking about praising your spouse. In other words, speaking favorably over them. Right? To drive this point home, I want to read something to you. 
Story goes like this. Years ago, Reader's Digest printed the story of a remarkable junior high math teacher. One Friday afternoon, she asked her students at St. Mary's School in Morris, Minnesota to list on a sheet of paper the names of all the other students in the class, leaving a space between the names. Says then she told them to think of the nicest thing they could say about each of their classmates and to write it down. It says, and at the end of the period, she collected all these sheets of paper, and over the weekend, she wrote the name of each student on a separate sheet of paper, and she listed what everyone had said about them. All those nice words, all those affirming words, she wrote them down, and then come Monday morning, she handed out all these pieces of paper back to the students. Now, as they began reading, they started whispering to each other, I never knew that meant anything to anyone, or I didn't know others liked me so much. The papers were never discussed in class, but the teacher knew that the exercise was successful simply by watching the face of her students. She could tell that it was, that it was causing positive feelings to come up in their hearts because she could see it on their face. Now, watch this. Several years later, one of those students, those little junior high boy, his name was Mark. He grew up, and Mark went to the military, and then Mark went to the war, and then when, while Mark was at the war, he actually got killed. Okay, so after Mark's body was returned to Minnesota, most of his classmates, along with his junior high school math teacher, uh, attended the funeral. And at the luncheon after the service, uh, Mark's father walked over to the teacher and he said, I want to show you something. He says he took a wallet out of his pocket and he said this, he said, they found this on my son when he was killed. We thought you might recognize it. Open the billfold, he removed two worn sheets of notebook paper which had been taped, folded, and refolded many times. It was the list of good things Mark's classmates had written about him years ago. And then his mom simply said this. She, she said, thank you so much for doing that. As you can see, my son treasured it. Then the story says that one by one, Mark's classmates began to reveal that each of them still had their sheet of paper and they read it often. That some carried it in a billfold, even some put it in their, in their wedding album. And one guy even said this, he said, I think all of us, because we're all friends, I think all of us actually saved our list. Now, why am I telling you that today? I think there's a profound point that I want to make to you. Please don't miss. In fact, if you haven't heard anything I've said, please hear what I'm about to say. I don't know when you hear that little story about Mark in that class. I don't, I don't know what stirs up in your heart. I don't know what you know, comes to your mind. But here's what comes to my mind. It's simply this, that, that what would have happened if that junior high math teacher, don't know her name, but, but what would happen if she would have never provided those students with the opportunity to express their positive thoughts towards those classmates? Like, what would have happened if Mark's classmates would have, here's the key word that I want to hang on here, would have hoarded all of their life-giving thoughts towards each other? Like, I think, you know, the natural response is go, well, they had just moved on with their life and they would have never known anything different. But, but the reality is when you stop and you really consider the moment, you're like, man, that would have been a huge missed opportunity. Huge. That none of those kids, including Mark, would have had the privilege of knowing how much they were admired, how much they were appreciated, and how much they were accepted. So, listen, let me say this to y'all as, as married couples. If a man can feel that from a handful of kids that he was in a math class with, what could be the impact of his wife saying those things? Like, for a woman, like, what could be the impact if, if it was her husband saying those things? See, see, the reality is, like, man, how many of us have continued to hoard our thoughts 
of admiration, of approval, and love from our spouse. That we keep it to ourselves, right? Now, now listen, what I'm about to say, I know it, I know it sounds morbid, but the reality is it just comes with the nature of the, of the job I have, is we go to a lot of funerals, right? So I've been to a lot of funerals, you know, 26, 27 years, whatever it is now. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat in a funeral and, and I've heard people say positive things. I've heard spouses say positive things. Children say positive things uh, about whoever it is, their loved one that's laying there in the casket, right? And, and I've thought many, many times, many times, I wonder if they ever told them, right? And so I just think, listen, like our words of praise for our spouse will do them and you no good if you wait to speak uh, well of them at their funeral or when they're gone. So listen, guys, today, like, why wait? Like, why wait? Why not tell them now? Now, now listen, when I say that, I recognize that we have different personalities in the room. Some of us have a really hard time verbalizing what we feel. I get that, okay? Let me kind of let me kind of say it two ways here. If you're that kind of person, or if you're literally like you've been in you've been in that ditch of criticism and nagging so long, you can't find anything positive. The secret is really this, because the Holy Spirit knows them. Holy Spirit, help me see them through your eyes. Like let me hear them with your ears. Let me perceive them in the Spirit by my heart. Right? Like Holy Spirit, would you show me what you see? And I'm telling you that if you submit yourself in that way, he'll begin to show you something. Even if it's just like a glimmer of hope in the first day or two, he'll show you something. Because he created that person. He has a destiny for that person, right? He's got great plans for that person. He thinks, the Bible says in Psalm 139, uh, a lot of good thoughts about that person. So he'll begin to share those thoughts with you if you let him. Amen? So, so once again, like, like we hold back so often... And because we can't verbalize it, or maybe we're struggling with it, or maybe we're just assuming that our spouse already knows what we're thinking, like they can read our minds. Listen, you can already track how many years you've been married. You haven't done a good job reading each other's mind. All those unmet expectations, right? So I just think it's this. If I can talk to the ladies for a second. Listen to this quote. I'll just, I'll just say it this way. Ruth Bill said this. She said, if you want a man to keep loving you, if you want a man to keep loving you, you only have to do one thing, appreciate him and let him know you do. Ladies, as a guy, I can tell you, uh, your husband needs appreciation and he needs affirmation. I kind of lose that last week, but man, he needs it like the airy breeze. He needs it, right? And, and so I just think this, if, if you can believe in him, and if you can speak life over him, that man will storm hell with a water pistol for you. And he'll do it gladly. Amen? So listen, guys, I, I just think this. like If we would take the time to communicate words of affection and endearment, words of praise and encouragement, then our wives wouldn't have to sit back and wonder, does he really love me or not? Does he care for me or not? Like If we choose to speak words of life, and we actually choose to back them up with our actions, then she'll give us the inside track to her heart. She'll open the door. She'll open the door wide open. Why? Because, because she feels safe and she feels secure. Amen? So, so here's the point I want to just end on. is this: Instead of us using all of our energy to criticize and to nag when our spouse does uh, something we don't like, like why not take all that energy 
and all that influence to actually comment favorably when they actually do something we approve of. If you want them to change, that's the best way to change. Like, let me give you two quick stories. I know I said I was closing, but I lied to you. <clears throat> I, can, I confess it now. Here's the deal, okay? Like, one, one story I heard is this, is that there was this young guy, it was a young married couple. Dude hated cutting the grass, hated yard work. And he would always grumble and complain about it. And one day he was out there cutting grass, and after he came in, his wife simply said this, I noticed your muscles while you were cutting the grass today. That dude became a lawn mowing machine, right? <laughs> and uh, and he, he began to cut grass, and he loved yard work after that. Why? Because his wife was checking him out, right? <laughs> Let me give you another one. And uh, so there was this lady that was basically griping and complaining because her husband always forgot anniversaries. He always forgot her birthdays. She would ask him to do stuff, and he just like, he blew it, right? And, and so she, she finally did what we're talking about. She said, okay, I'm going to wait. And she was waiting a while, but, but she was waiting for him to do something that was praiseworthy. And, and, and dude finally did something on the fourth time that she asked him. Fourth time. Quick as a brick. And uh, fourth time. And, and she made such a big deal out of it. She actually said this, I acted as if he brought me home a fur coat. Okay, that was like, whoo, made a big deal. And she said it kind of shocked him, but, but he liked it. And so, so she looked for another time, she gave another compliment, another time gave another compliment, and she found herself giving compliments more often because he got the clue. He liked the affirmation, so he, he, found, he started finding pleasure in serving her and thinking of her and doing nice things for her. So it works. The, the reality is, is praise has a boomerang effect. And what I mean by that is, is simply this, as we encourage our spouse they're going to respond in a positive way, yes, but we also find our hearts changing towards them. God will change our heart, right? Like that undercurrent of frustration and aggravation and irritation that we feel when they walk in the room, man, that thing will be replaced by joy and it'll be replaced by peace. It'll be replaced with those feelings you used to feel all those years ago. Can I get an amen? amen. Let me give you a handful of verses here. Proverbs sixteen twenty four: Gracious words are like honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. I love that verse. Romans 15, 7, accept one another. Notice it doesn't say accept the sin. It says accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Ephesians 4, instead be kind to one another or each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Ephesians 4, 29, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, last one. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. All right, second closing. <laughs> this one's for real. All right, you know, it's funny. As I was working on this, I could, I could hear the, the thought, the comment. Pastor, if I, if I begin to... Uh, compliment them and praise them like you're telling me to. Like if I constantly praise them, then, then, then they're going to start believing that, that I'm satisfied and that they're doing everything right. And, and, and that's not good, right? Um, I know this is a true statement because I've had it before. Y'all know we, we, we're real around here, right? So... Listen, if by chance anyone is thinking those thoughts or maybe you've thought them before, 
I, I just simply want to remind all of us uh, to think about how well our criticizing, complaining, and nagging has worked up until this point. Right? The things that frustrated you 30 years ago is still frustrating you. Right? It's not working. So my point is, is maybe, maybe you should give God's way a go. Like, maybe you should give it a try and see what happens. Like, how many times have I said, if we do it our way, we get our results. If we do it God's way, we get God's results. Man, I want God's results in my marriage. So I'm willing to change so I can get that. Amen? So listen, if it takes communication, if I really believe that communication is a lifeline to mine and my wife's relationship, then, then why would I choose to continue to speak death? Why would I continue to choose to be a dog that returns back to his vomit, that says something, just gets the same thing again and again and again? That's ignorance, right? So let me find out what works. And according to the Bible, praise is what works. And speaking life is what works, so let me do that. Amen? Amen. Can you stand to your feet? Jesus, for two months, we have dove into this topic of marriage and family, raising kids, having healthy communication, all these things, Lord. We, we, we've talked for quite a while now. Lord, I don't think those things were just meant to be cute sermons that we go, okay, that was nice, check the box, let's move on. Father, I believe that for two months you've been trying to tell us and me something. And so, Lord, I'm just simply asking for every single one of us today, rather than us blowing off all these things we've heard, that we would lean into your heart and we would hear the wisdom that's coming from it. Father, I'm asking God for every single person in this room that we would begin to evaluate our lives in a real way, in an honest way. That we would, that we would maybe quit pointing the finger, quit passing the blame, and we would look at ourselves. And God, I'm asking that all these truths that we've been hearing for two months, that we would actually uh, do the Word, that we would apply the Word to our lives, so much so that, that these things that we've been talking about would become a habit, they become a rhythm, a pattern in our lives, God, that we're truly, God, people who want healthy marriages, healthy kids and all that. Uh, but God, that takes work. And so, Lord, would you help us do the work? Would you help us do what we need to do to be able to do that? And so, Lord, would you help us, God, as a husband and a wife, to walk in the inheritance and the blessing that only comes through a healthy family? Lord, would you help us to repent where we need to repent? Would you help us change where we need to change? And Lord, help us to be the men that we need to be and help us be the women that we need to be so that we can honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.